It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Yeah, I was just talking about with Gene. It was at the Brewers game last night, and, and it was an ugly game. I mean, I, I think they've got a real chance to do stuff this this year. But l- let's face it, as long as you're going to keep trotting Matt Garza out and then following it up with Willie Peralta, you're not going to go anywhere. And I think the Brewers management knows that, and they're just kind of figuring, okay, what, what, what do we do? You've got a couple players that just aren't performing. I suspect sooner rather than later they're going to, cut ties and and move on if they want to be competitive but regardless even though it was kind of an ugly game we um just, just had a lot of fun i, I went with the, my girlfriend and her family and kids and grandkids and we had a couple other of our mutual friends that went and it was, it was very very nice and got lots of pictures of me posing in the giant baseball mitt you know so and posing with like the racing sausage stuff so i've got the christmas cards all taken care of i mean it, it's just all set I had a very good time and it's a lot of fun at miller park there's just no question about it at all we start off today's show like we start off every show three big things things i think you need to know about to discuss today you know at the water cooler or at the lunch table or at the gym or wherever big story number one and this is a huge story um not so much for the particular impact. Who cares really about one congressional seat, but for the message it sends. It is also an example of, of how obscenely expensive political races have, have become. And again, I'm, I'm not one of these people who believes that there should be campaign finance limits. I think you know money is the equivalent of, of free speech, and I think people should be able to spend money. But at the same time, when you think about every everything that could be done with $60 million, think of all the people that you could feed. Think of all the people you could house. Think of all the people you could clothe with $60 million. Now, why do I throw out that number? Because today... There is an election in Georgia. It is a single congressional seat in Georgia. It's a special election to fill a vacancy. Um, The congressman from this district, and it's a Republican-leaning district. It's Newt Gingrich's old district. It's suburban Atlanta. Um, And the, the congressman, a guy named Tom Price, he left his job. He was elected in November. He left the c- Congress to take the job. He's now the Secretary of Health and Human Services in the Trump administration. It creates a, a vacancy. Um, this is, I believe, now the third special election to fill seats from people in Congress who've left to take jobs in the Trump administration. And the Democrats have been going all in to win one of these seats. Um, they failed in Montana. They failed in Kansas, and so now this is the attempt to try to win. And the thinking, and this is the, this is the thing, we are trying to send a message. We've got our, our hardcore base who, who wants to see that Trump is defeated. We want to send a message to other to Republicans that you need to bail on the Trump agenda or else you're going to be defeated in 2018. So this particular race, a lot of resources being put in. The Democrat um, who... Almost one. This was, his name is John Oshoff. This was one where they originally had what they called the jungle primary, where all the candidates run together. You don't have people running as Democrats or Republicans, and if one person gets fifty point one percent of the vote, they end up, you know, being elected. Oshoff, who's a Democrat, came close but didn't get it. So now there's a runoff. He is running against a Republican. Her name is Karen Handel. Um, there has been. $60 million spent in this one congressional race. $60 million. I mean, l- let me let me give you, 
you know, some sense of perspective. Gwen Moore, re- and congressional districts are all the same size. Gwen Moore essentially represents Milwaukee County. Right? Imagine a contested election where you had $60 million spent in Milwaukee County alone. You can, can you just imagine all the dough that's being put in? And Democrats nationally have been concentrating on this because, again, the idea is if we can pick up this seat, we can end up sending the message. The polls, very, very close. Um, the mo- latest ones I've seen have Oshoff ahead by the Democrat, ahead by like a point or so, but clearly within the margin of error. So th- the question is, you know, what does it mean and what is going to happen? But $60 million and... The, the argument has been it's kind of like vote against Trump, and they're trying to use this as a referendum uh, against Trump to, again, send this message. But $60 million in this one area. Now, the, the stakes are really high because if the Republicans lose, again, this is going to give Democrats momentum, and the argument's going to be, see, we can pick up the 20-whatever seats we need to take control of the House next year. If they lose a seat that a lot of people thought this was their best chance to win, it's going to be, okay, there's dissatisfaction with Trump, but what are we going to do? You know, we keep trying. We couldn't win in Kansas. We couldn't win in Montana. We can't win in this seat in Atlanta, despite, you know, spending tens of millions of dollars and bringing volunteers in from all over the country. If if the Democrats lose, it, again, is going to be a clear message that while some people, you know, the angry left, the activist left is upset with Trump, that that's not translating into, you know, a general election win. I, where it's going to go, I don't know. I mean, again, we're all skeptical about polls. Polls show it is too close to call. And my guess is it's going to be a nail biter one way or the other. But big story number one. Watch what goes on in Georgia tonight. If you wonder why should I care about a congressional, if you're into politics and you're a political junkie and you wonder why should I care about politics in one congressional race in Georgia, it's because some people will argue that this will send a message, depending on the outcome, that will resonate across the country. That might be overstating it, but nevertheless, it is going to be very interesting, and one side's going to be very, very happy. And one side's not going to be happy this time tomorrow. All right, big story number two. The Dominic Hagan-Brown prosecution might go to the jury as early as this afternoon. Why is the case being tried at all? We'll discuss. Stick around. It's 842. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 845, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Packer fan, Packers fan has filed a lawsuit against the Chicago Bears claiming his free speech rights were silenced when they didn't let him wear his green and gold attire at Soldier Field. Does this have any legal standing? Scafidi and Billstat dissect today at 1235. Yeah, during the 9 o'clock hour, I'm going to weigh in on that. Not from the legal standing, but from uh, perhaps the larger perspective. All right. Big story number two. Sometime today. It is anticipated that the state's prosecution brought by politically motivated John Chisholm, the district attorney in Milwaukee County, the guy who spent, I don't know how many tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars pursuing the unsuccessful witch hunt against Scott Walker. A guy, by the way, who by making that decision has hurt DAs all across the state because DAs are trying to say, hey, we don't have enough resources. We need more money. And one of the problems is if you've got a DA in Milwaukee, an out-of-control DA who spent as much money as he spent 
tilting at windmills trying to get Scott Walker. The argument is, well, okay, how can people be pleading poverty if John Chisholm's got enough money to spend on this foolishness? Now, that's not necessarily fair because most of the DAs across the state, well, they're, they're not John Chisholm. But anyways, John Chisholm um, has launched this prosecution into former Milwaukee police officer Dominic Hagen Brown. Now, just to give you some perspective, this prosecution is only, I think it's only the second prosecution of a Milwaukee police officer for essentially um, an on-duty homicide um, in in modern history. Um, Only the second. Um, He's only the 13th officer in the country to be charged with either murder, manslaughter, or homicide in an on-duty shooting this year. So this is an extremely rare situation. Most of the times, when you have an officer who is charged with homicide in an on-duty shooting, the question is whether or not the officer was entitled to use deadly force in the first place. In other words, was he entitled to pull his gun and shoot in the first place? Dominic Hagen-Brown is not on trial for at least that initial decision. This is the Sherman Park prosecution. And and just let's review the bidding for for just a second. What happens is Hagen-Brown and another officer... Um, they are on they're, they're on patrol, and they go to try to stop this Slavell Smith, who then takes off and flees. All right, Smith is armed. He, he's got a gun. Um, as he is being chased by these officers, he trips and drops his gun. All right? So he's running from the cops. He's got a gun. He drops his gun. As he gets up, He picks up the gun and he raises it, at which point in time the police officer, Hagen Brown, who's on trial, fires his first shot, hitting Smith in the arm. Smith then throws the gun over the fence and falls to the ground, and then Hagen Brown fires a second shot that hits him in the chest. So there's two shots that are fired. Chisholm concedes... And the state concedes that the first shot that was fired was a legitimate use of self-defense and deadly force. The guy's got the gun. He's raising it. Hagen Brown fires. Guy goes to the ground. The gun goes flying. The issue isn't whether the first shot was legitimate. Everybody considers it was. The question is, what about the second shot that he fired? Now, here's what... I th- and there's there's video. I mean, I was going to post a link to it, but I think people want to see it. Have seen it. Here is the interesting thing: this entire incident, the f- two shots, the time between the two shots are 1.6 seconds. Actually, 1.7 seconds. Here is what 1.7 seconds is: boom, boom. That, that's it. So that's 1.7 seconds. The man is on trial looking at 40 years in prison for that second boom. I mean, that that's what th- this is. Looking at 40 years in prison, accused of a variation of the homicide charge for that second shot that is almost instantaneous. When I first heard about this, I, I confess, I, I thought that there was going to be a huge gap 
between the shots. I thought this was going to be one where he fired the shot, the guy goes down, and then you have five seconds, ten seconds, and then he fires the other shot. This is literally boom, boom. And it is that second boom that the man is on trial for. Um, both sides have presented experts. Yesterday, the defense put on an expert saying, hey, th- th- this was a legitimate shooting. Police officers are trained to make sure the threat's not gone. Um, Hagen Brown had a reasonable belief that there might have been a second gun. The man's hands, you couldn't see him. That's why he fired the second shot. But this is, uh, again, it happens in the space of 1.7 seconds. Now, let's not lose sight of the other thing that is going on here. This, and this is where politics comes into play, in my opinion. This was the shooting that triggered the excuse for the looting and the violence around Sherman Park. So, and, and this, this was that, I mean, candidly, you had a tinderbox last year, and I think you had a number of people who were just looking for an excuse to act out. This was that excuse. And so then people acted out. You had the mayor who was overwhelmed. You had the police chief who was overwhelmed. You had the district attorney who then waded in. All right. So Hagen Brown did not testify, but they did present an expert saying, hey, this is, you know, this, this is not a crime. This is what officers are trained to do. And the brief space of time, the boom, boom, I mean, it's really not right to say that second boom creates a, a crime. Now, I I, I did not sit in through the trial for the, the week that it went on, and trying to predict what juries are going to do is always sort of a very dangerous type of thing. But I will tell you this. One of the first rules of a witch hunt is that you have to find a, a witch. Chisholm failed when he did his witch hunt trying to get Scott Walker. Here you have this particular police officer who was later fired because of misconduct you know, outside of work. But they're trying to nail this guy with a 40-year felony right 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line i think if he is convicted it sends a very chilling and dangerous message to all the other police officers in the city of milwaukee who are expected on literally one or two seconds notice to make decisions that are life and death decisions and I, I tell you, if you can be looking at 40 years in prison for that second shot fired 1.7 seconds after the first one, the first one definitely justified because you've got somebody who's armed, fleeing, turns around to face you with a gun. If that second shot 1.7 seconds later can land you in prison for 40 years, I think it is a very scary precedent. 414. 414- Seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Mike and McGuanago. Mike, you're first. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Uh, I got about ten years' experience in Milwaukee County law enforcement, and this this bothers me that he got charged. Um, you know, we have the body cam, we have the short time span in the shots, we have the fact that he was reaching towards his waistband. The officer couldn't see his hand. I think we got a clear case of justification for deadly force here. Yet he's standing on trial uh, with this witch hunt that's going on with John Ketcher released Chisholm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I, I mean, again, when I first heard this, I thought there was a lengthy period of time between the two shots. This is this is really one after another, and you know, officers are taught to shoot to to end the threat. 
Um, he essentially fired, you know, two shots. That that's what ended up happening. He didn't know that the threat was over, and this is going to land the guy in prison for forty years. Seriously, this makes me think about the job a lot more and what we do. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I have to go home and protect myself and the public, and that's what we're going to continue to do. Right. No. Thank, thanks. For, you're exactly right. I mean, this sends a very, very chilling message. Now, you will never convince me. That this and Chisholm say, oh, no, there's not politics here. Bull, that you will never convince me that if there were not the riots in Sherman Park, that this would have been, of all the different police shootings you could take, I mean, it seems to me where, you, where you're, you're conceding that the first shot was legitimate, that this idea that now we're going to go and this is going to be the prosecution. Give me a break. Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Jeff, you hit it on the head. And what scares me is that my daughter once applied to the city of Milwaukee. She's going through the process here. I fear for her. But there's no doubt that this is a politically motivated case. This is, hey, um, some people wanted to burn down the Sherman Park area because of what happened. Right. And so we got to find a reason to justify Right, right here. Calm down. Going There's on? going to be justice. We're going to we're going to try to find somebody, and we're going to target them. And I guess I seriously wonder, Joe, is it? And I, I look. I I don't know what the verdict's going to be, but if there is an acquittal, and I wouldn't be surprised with an acquittal, then what's going to happen? I mean, are people going to get angry again? And you know, should if that's the case, and John Chisholm loses this because he can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, will he be held accountable? for bringing a bogus prosecution, if he loses it. Unfortunately, we live in Milwaukee County, and he will not be. No, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. I mean, th- this is a- absolutely something to watch. And again, I haven't seen the trial. I make no predictions on what the verdict is going to be. I-, I will tell you, I think it is scary to every police officer out there. If John Chisholm is going to go after you, if you need to use deadly force, and he's going to go after you for that second shot, 1.7 seconds, boom, boom, after the first one, boy, I tell you, look out because he's coming to get you. It's 909, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Can we stipulate for one thing? North Korea is a Stone Age country run by a madman who is trying to develop nuclear capabilities. And that, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, that cannot be allowed to happen. And there's a lot of things that need to happen, but big story number three, the death of this 22-year-old man, Otto Warmbier, um, I, I think clearly demonstrates what the United States needs to do now. For those of you who have not been following this story, young man, college student, was on a tour of China um, what, about a year and a half ago, January of 2016. He's in China. And he decides to take a a brief, like, sojourn, a a trip. There's this this travel group that offers, particularly like young people, um, cheap travel to places as they build themselves where your mother wouldn't want you to go. So this kid, this young man, signs up for an excursion into North Korea. Now, our State Department discourages people from traveling to North Korea because... It is run by a madman who is trying to develop nuclear capabilities and has a complete and total disdain for the West. 
this madman loves to grab and hold as hostages people from the West, particularly American citizens, to use them for propaganda purposes. So January of 2016, that this this young this college student takes this trip into North Korea. It's supposed to be a couple-day trip. In January of 2016, he is arrested at the airport trying to get out. He is accused of tearing down, taking a political uh, poster off the wall of a hotel. That is what he is accused of doing. He is immediately put into custody. In April of 2016... He suffers what is described as a catastrophic brain injury. Um, Presumably, he is beaten. Catastrophic brain injury. He then is put on trial and is found guilty in this kind of show trial. He is sentenced to six years of hard labor in North Korea for purportedly, again, taking a political poster off a wall. But he's in a coma because he suffered this catastrophic brain injury. Again, presumably he's been beaten, but he is in a coma. And he remains in the custody of the North Koreans from the time he was arrested in April until just a couple days ago, June 13th. Now, here is what I think happened. I think it became clear that he was dying. And I think North Korea decided we don't want this guy dying on our watch. And so what they did is they airlifted him out on June 13th and brought him back to Ohio. He died, what, yesterday? So within a week of his release, just a couple days after his quote-unquote release, he dies. So, I mean, I I think clearly, uh, again, maybe maybe somebody's going to come with a different conclusion, but I think what happened is... To the extent that there was any sort of panic, North Korea, the doctors looked at this guy and said, he, he's not going to make it. Here, let's, let's ship him back because we, we, we don't want him to die in our custody. So they release him, um, never came out of the coma. He, he passes away. And now there is, I mean, legitimate outrage. All right, the guy, again, has been in custody since January of 2016. The crime is alleged, allegedly taking a political poster off a wall. For that, you get sentenced to six years hard labor. But again, something happened to him, um, again, what they're calling a catastrophic brain injury that put him in a coma that he never came out of. So the question becomes, where do we go from here? And there's all sorts of things. I mean, for anybody who thinks that you can negotiate with North Korea, that's just that's just crazy because, in my opinion, you, you've got, again, it's this madman that is running this country. And the sooner he's out of power, the better. Now, I'm not saying that you invade North Korea, but I, I do think it, it is time for Mr. Art of the Deal, President Donald Trump, to start using all the leverage he has to try to force China, which is really what has propped up North Korea, to try to force China to essentially get rid of the the current president of North Korea. Because as long as this crazy person is there, you are always going to have threats to world security. But more immediately, there is another issue. The tour group that, again, targets young people. Here, we're going to take you to places where, you know, your your mother wouldn't want you to go. The tour group says, well, in light of this, we're not going to allow any more Americans to travel to North Korea because we can't guarantee their safety and we're afraid that they're going to be grabbed. 
That is a good step, but it is only step one. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Here, in my opinion, is, is what should happen today. And, and that is President Trump should immediately submit a bill to Congress, which would make sure that innocent Americans are never, ever, ever going to be used as propaganda by this guy. And the law should say that U.S. citizens should not, under any circumstances, be allowed to travel to North Korea. It should, in my opinion, not just be against, not should be unwise. It should not be something that is devised against. It, It should be a law that you are not allowed to travel to North Korea. It is simply too dangerous. And it's not just a question of you deciding, hey, I, I'm willing to take the chance. I want to go to North Korea. I wanna, I, I'm willing to you know, put myself at risk. Because what happens is when you get grabbed under circumstances like this, you then become a, a propaganda item for this tin pot dictator. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think step one in response to the death of this young man should be immediately a law passed by Congress that says no more travel to North Korea under any circumstances. And if you decide you want to violate the law, well, okay, that's a different matter. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, for the life of me, I don't understand why anyone would go into North Korea nowadays um, in the first place. But apparently some people do. Hey, I'm a college kid, and I, I'm not, believe me, I'm not mocking this young man. I'm outraged by this whole thing. But, you know, some people who, oh, this is a place, maybe this is going to be a fun trip. I'm going to see something. I'm going to go somewhere where, where nobody else goes. Here, I'm going to sign up with this tour group. I think it should be against the law to travel to North Korea. If things change 5, 10, 15 years ago from now, you take another look at it. 414-799-1620. Um, if you're on the line, please hold on. We will discuss when we come back. It's 919, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, WTMJ's classic free ride makes a pit stop in beautiful Okachi today. Join John McCure and the Wisconsin Afternoon News team as they broadcast live from 3 to 6 at the Golden Mast Inn on Okachi Lake. Register to win the amazing 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible and tickets to see the Dirks Bent- to see Dirks Bentley perform at Summerfest. That's today from 3 to 6 at the Golden Mast Inn on Okachi Lake. It's WTMJ's classic free ride sponsored by New Mail Medical in Tosa and Summerfest. Okay, our text line is exploding on uh, this particular topic. Uh, my father was a Korean war vet. We also have a friend that taught English in South Korea. You are taking your life into your own hands when traveling to North Korea. Very dangerous, and the risk lies with you when going there. The key is having China inflict economic sanctions on them. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that, but the truth of the matter is, it's just too dangerous for American citizens to go there. Debbie writes, I agree with you 100%, Jeff. I hope someone does something about this. Sympathy to his family. Yeah, this, and to me, this is a no-brainer. To me, it's just, you, you recognize, you you do not have a legitimate government. You have a madman that's running the show there. Bob downtown. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Um, I, I have mixed feelings on a law preventing travel there. I, I can see your argument. But, but the point is, is one of the people that texted in and said, I mean, this is a so-called country run madman. 
Right. There are a couple of other contenders, but arguably this is the worst place on earth for an American to go. I right. mean, an American's probably better off in Iraq or Afghanistan than North Korea. Yep. Now, it's a tragedy what happened to this kid, but why on earth anyone, even a 20-year-old, would want to set foot in or even fly over North Korea? You are taking your life into your own hands. Yeah, it, 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 and, and that's and see, and I, I, I understand exactly what you're saying about. I mean, here's here's what I understand happened. There's the, this travel company that's based out of China, and they specialize in these what they call off the tourist track places um, for budget trips. They also emphasize a drinking culture, so that they're they're there to appeal to young people who might not have the seasoning, the turns of the lathe, you know, <laughs> might have the seasoning to understand what a dangerous situation they're getting in. And I guess I can see some, I, I can see some 20-year-old college kid, hey, you're in China, you want to, you're, you're, maybe you're never going to be over there again, you want to experience the world, hey, I'm going to go to some place that not many people go, um, and we're going to go and we're going to party, it's going to be a party bus or whatever, not recognizing what you're walking into, um, you know, which I think is probably what happened here. Well, that's taking uh, a, a drinking culture in, you know, Wisconsin and going out partying with your friends, I think, to the uh, end <laughs> yeah, extreme. Right. I mean, no. you're going a little too far when you're flying from China, which I, already is a, a bit sketchy being there, to North Korea. I, I, it's a tragedy what happened to this kid, but, right. my God. No, thank you. no I mean, I, I, don't don't get me wrong. I, 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 understand, I, I understand all of that, but at some point in time, see, and it's not just... I guess there's there's a couple factors here. First of all, you clearly want to make sure. But when I talk about there ought to be a law in this particular case, it's number one, you want to make sure that what happened to this young man doesn't happen to somebody else. But secondly, because there there is this larger issue, because you've got this madman in North Korea who is willing to grab Americans on pretexts and then use them. I mean. Six years of forced labor for allegedly taking down a political poster. I mean, there's this was a situation where we're going to grab an American and we're going to detain him and we're going to try to use him, I think, clearly as a leverage, you know, uh, against the, the West. I mean, that's this this isn't that much different, really, than, you know, ISIS taking its own hostages. And I guess sometimes because there's also that then propaganda effect or whatever, there's a larger interest just in the safety. But the reality is it's just so blanking unsafe to travel there. You know, I think at some point in time you need to sometimes protect people from themselves. Chad in Fond du Lac. Chad, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, North Korea is not the only one, you know. I mean, what does the United States do? Do we just stop what we're doing, invade all these countries? You know, these individuals that go over to other countries, they have laws, and either strict or otherwise, you know, they enforce them. The individual sold something, a political poster. I get it, he's a kid. I'm not, I I feel for the family, this is a terrible thing that happened. This is terrible. You know, and I do believe North Korea gave him back to the United States before he passed away. They're not stupid. Yeah, they did right. That's, the, that's why they released him. Yep. Okay, that that makes sense. But you know, they do not take theft lightly, and North Korea is not the only one. When these travel organizations say, "Hey, go here, go here, go here," you need to do research on the country mm-hmm. you're going to, know where the U.S. embassies are, and understand that. 
they have laws, and other countries okay, have okay, laws. But let me like ask you this, Chad. Do you, do you seriously think that the apprehension, the detention, the catastrophic brain injury that he suffered, presumably because he was beaten, do you really think that the fact that he was an American and there was propaganda purposes, that that didn't play into this? I mean, do you, do you really think that somebody in North Korea would have been treated the same way for allegedly taking a political poster down? I don't know, but yeah, there probably is. Yeah, there probably is backing behind this. I think you're absolutely correct. Yeah, I don't think the individual deserved anything even close. You know, he made a mistake. He grabbed a poster. You know what we think is no big deal. Other countries, but yeah, there's. Oh yeah, there's there's meat and potatoes behind this. I completely agree with okay, that. Okay, I guess and see that's. I guess that's the. Look, I mean, I understand that you have different countries that have different rules. There's a story that's been you know, getting a lot of attention about how you had a guy from Wisconsin who was apprehended trying to go into Abu Dhabi without properly registering some prescriptions. And now you know, he, he's detained there and there's all this type of outrage. So, I mean, I, I do understand to an extent if you say, hey, you're traveling to another country. You have an obligation to inform yourself about what their, their laws are and then you know, make sure you dot all your I's and cross all your T's. I understand that fully, but that's, that's not what this is. I just don't see that this is a guy who got snatched up for political purposes, who was, again, catastrophic brain injury. I presume he was beaten. I presume he was beaten. I presume he was tortured. Um, I, again, don't know that for sure. He was held in captivity. He was released a couple days before he was going to die. It is just too dangerous to travel there. This is not a country that has rules of law like civilized countries do. And, yeah, I think the first step at this point in time should be no U.S. citizen allowed to travel to North Korea, period. It's 927. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I have a text from Andy with an I. Andy in uh, Waukesha. I think this hits it on the head. Jeff, they took the kid. Now, why he would steal a political poster, I don't know. I don't even know if he did it. But they took him. They beat him up. They hazed him or whatever you want to say. And they killed him because he was an American. Sometimes American children are extremely naive because everything comes easy here. Sometimes you have to protect Americans from themselves. Yes, that's... This is what happened to this man isn't because he violated some obscure minor North Korean law. It was because he was an American. They were trying to use him for political purposes. Clearly, he did not appreciate the risk of going into North Korea. Why, under this current regime, does anybody need to go there if you are an American and allow yourself to be arrested on trumped-up charges, no pun intended, trumped-up charges, and then um, used for propaganda purposes? Sometimes... Uh, you have to just protect people from themselves. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes. It is not the most significant story of the day, but nevertheless, my head is getting ready to explode. My producer, Hondo, is glad he is behind this thick glass wall. I will tell you all about it. It is 9.35, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. Uh, let's see here. 
Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court will now be involved in the case of the GOP redesigning the state's voting districts. John McCure gets analysis from former state Supreme Court Justice Janine Geske at 320 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Yeah, we had uh, Brad Schimmel, the Attorney General of the state, on to kind of explain that. I'm going to double back on that a little bit later on because, again, it's one of these examples. If you want to figure out where you should be on on an issue, a complicated issue. And actually, when, when you explain it to people, I don't think this issue is that complicated. But if you want to figure out where you should be, there's a couple politicians that if you find out where they are and you go the other way, you're going to be right. If you find out where the Journal Sentinel editorial board is on a position and you go the other way, you're going to be right. They've got a stunningly stupid editorial on this particular issue that just... Well, I, I think really doesn't get the law. But when you've got this knee-jerk political reaction and you want to get Democrats elected, well, okay, that's what you do. But we'll be talking about that a little bit later on. But uh, State Supreme Court, former State Supreme Court Justice Janine Geske, she's been gone for a long time. She's going to be on with McCure at 3.20 this afternoon. Okay. Um, as a Packers fan... I, I, I admit that, you know, I, I love the rivalry with the Bears. I'm sorry to see Jay Cutler go because as long as Jay Cutler was the quarterback for the Bears, Packers had a really, really good chance of, of winning. And who knows? Um, maybe well, they, they can't do worse, it seems to me, when they replace their quarterback. And let's be honest, the Bears are a hot mess on many different levels. So, you know, the fact that the Bears are getting sued, it's tough for me to be too sympathetic. But at the same time... As a recovering lawyer, it bothers me when people file lawsuits and tie, in my opinion, tie up the courts um, for stupid things. And I guess I consider this to be a stupid thing. And I don't want to talk about the story necessarily from the legal merits because I think there are none. But I want to talk about it from a policy perspective. Okay, here's the deal. There are – it's tough nowadays to an extent for sports franchises to get people off their butts, get them out of their comfy recliners in their living rooms, and actually get them to attend games. Because, you know, whether it's football or basketball or baseball, almost all the games are televised nowadays, and while – there's nothing like going to a live sporting event. Let, let's face it, sometimes it, it can be a hassle. First of all, you've got to buy the tickets, and they're expensive. And then you've got to drive, and you've got to deal with the crowds. And then you've got to pay for parking. And then when you get into the stands, you know, you're paying $12 for a beer or whatever silliness that, that might be. So there's – and you don't have the comforts of home. Meanwhile, at home, you've got your recliner. You've got the bathroom right around the corner that you don't have to presumably stand in line to use. You've got your refrigerator right down the way. You know, you can go buy your, your favorite kind of beer, and you're not paying $12 a bottle for it. So there there are these, these challenges to getting people out. And so sports franchises come up with, with deals. At Miller Park, for example, you know, if you are a season ticket holder, there's all sorts of perks that, that you get. Um, one of them is... You, you pay less money for hot dogs. You know, there, there's like there's like a dual pricing thing for hot dogs. You know, if you're a season ticket holder, you get a buck off your hot dogs. It, it's it's little things, and then there's bigger things as well. So, in order to get people to actually buy tickets, franchises come up with all these different uh, programs. All right, the Bears 
the Bears, and um, the Bears are not the hottest ticket in town. I mean, the Bears have been bad for years and years. And so what they do is they have this program, which in an effort to try to induce people to buy season tickets, lets season ticket holders stand along the sidelines during certain pregame warm-ups at, at Soldier Field. So if you're a season ticket holder, and, and I don't know all the different hoops you got to jump through and what level tickets you have to buy, but if you're a season ticket holder for the Bears, you can come on the sidelines during pregame warm-ups, which is you know, obviously a cool thing. You get to be on, on the field. All right, which brings us to this guy. His name is Russell Beckman. He lives in Mount Pleasant. And he, he apparently, he says his story is, you know, he grew up, as as both a Bears fan and a, a Packers fan. Um, he followed both of these teams as a kid, and he, he likes both teams. But he ultimately picked the Packers as his number one team. But he says he still likes the Bears. He said, I, I mean, Bears, you know, I, I, I root for the Bears when they're not playing the Packers. Okay, fine, you, you can get that. So he is a season ticket holder to the Bears. And he participates in this program where he, he gets to go down on the sidelines before selected games. Now, I don't know, what again, what level of season ticket holder you have to be, et cetera, et cetera, but, but that's what he did. And he says that both in 2014 and 2015, he, as part of this pregame program, would go down to the sidelines and he'd be dressed in Green Bay Packers attire. So he'd dress up as a Packers fan. Now, I have to tell you, um, I've only been to one soldier game at Soldier Field in my entire life, and I don't have the guts to go down to Soldier Field with a bunch of drunken Bears fans and, and wear Packers gear. So, I mean, there is a certain degree of bravery to show up like that. But he shows up on the field in pregame warm-ups wearing Packers attire. So, last December... He's in line to go down and stand on the field before the Packers Bear games. And he gets an email telling him no opposing gear, no opposing team gear will be allowed. So they're they're telling him, look, this is this is you're a Bears ticket holder. You're on the you know, this is the Bears sideline. You can't wear Packers stuff. Can't wear Kansas City Chiefs stuff either, but you can't wear Packers stuff. He decides he's going to ignore this, and he shows up in Packers apparel anyways, and he's he's turned away. So now he's following, he's filed this federal lawsuit alleging that the team, via, the Bears, violated his free speech rights by prohibiting him from wearing Packers apparel at Bears pregame warm-ups. Now let me just say at the top, I believe this lawsuit to be completely and totally frivolous. I believe that it has no merit at all. These are the types of things that you hate to see because you know there's they clog up the courts um, with stuff. But but regardless of, of what the merits of the lawsuit, regardless of whether he's you know entitled, it's a violation of his free speech rights, which it's it's not. The the larger question is what you know what about the Bears' policy? of not allowing somebody on the sidelines in a rival team's outfit. Uh, the Bears, apparently, they sent emails that explained the policy, and they said sideline access was specifically created as a unique opportunity for Chicago Bears fans. All right. Again, let's let's not talk about the free speech aspect of this. That's stupid. 
I try not to use the word stupid, but that's a stupid argument, in my opinion. But but there is this overall policy. So whether it's legal or not, let's forget about that for a second. All right, the Bears have a policy that says, hey, if you're one of our season ticket holders, you can participate this in this program. You can be on the sidelines, but you know you, you don't have to wear Bears stuff if you don't want to, but you can't wear rival team gear. Is that an unreasonable position? for the Bears to take. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if the Packers had a similar sort of, of program, or the Brewers had a similar sort of program, hey, you know, you let's take the Packers. You can come on, you can be on the sidelines, but, you know, while you're on the sidelines, we don't want you wearing other teams' stuff. Is that an unreasonable position for a team to take? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Maybe you will disagree with me, but let me just give you the Reader's Digest version. I don't think the Bears are being unreasonable, and I don't think the Packers are, are being unreasonable. I mean, this is something designed presumably for their fans, and if you've got people along their sidelines for pregame warm-ups, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say, hey, we don't want people in other team gear. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And that is regardless of whether or not it's a free speech violation. It's not. But just as a policy matter, I don't think that's unreasonable. What do you think? We discuss next. It's 944, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 948, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ on our text line. My name is Mark. The guy sounds like a troublemaker. If he's a Bears fan, too, why can't he wear Bears gear on that day? It doesn't make sense. Uh, Mitch writes, at the least, what he did was extremely bad manners. Try having the Brewers leave you tickets, then be seen wearing the opposing team garb in that section. You'll be informed about your lack of appreciation, although not removed. Um, I guess, I mean, the, the Bears are just saying, all right, this is for our fans, and yeah, we, we're, you're going to be on our sideline, and we don't want people wearing, for in this case, Packers gear on the Bears' sideline before the Packers' game. Is that really that unreasonable? And, and by the way, the, the argument about like free speech rights, that, that's not going anywhere. If there was any merit, maybe you could raise a contract claim saying the only reason I bought the season, the, the argument would be the only reason I bought the season tickets was to get this opportunity, and now you've pulled the opportunity from me. But he's not making a contract claim. But I, I just want to talk about the policy. Um, let's talk to Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're first. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Um, I understand team spirit and the whole nine yards like this, but I think this uh, policy is uh, another reason to hate the Bears. Um, I think you should be able to wear whatever you want. It's a privilege that comes with the season ticket holders, and mm-hmm. I just think you should be able to, you know. So let's take. I mean, want. let's take the Bears out of it. If the Packers had something similar to this, and you had a bunch of. Uh, Packers season ticket holders that, that showed up on the sidelines before the game, kind of jumping around and having fun and enjoying the photo opportunity and being on TV, and they were wearing Bears gear, you you wouldn't think that the Packers should tell them, no, get off our sidelines, you're supposed to be a Packers fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, okay, tough one. But have to be consistent, let them wear it, you know, okay. if, 
you know, if he's got the cojones to wear Packers scarf down in the middle of Bears country, you know, hey, well, let well, him do it. Well, I, I, no, see, now that, that's, see, that's why, I mean, I just what I just did with you is what I always try to do when we're analyzing, like, these political things. Turn it around. If this was Barack Obama, would it be different? That kind of stuff. And, and I do appreciate what you're saying about, you know, cojones, because my, my guess is, now, I don't know if he was wearing the, I don't know if he, he would like wear the Packers stuff on the sidelines and then take it off before you go sitting in the stands because I, I've got to imagine, especially with the way some of these bear seasons are going, you do kind of take your life in your hands being um, amidst a bunch of drunken Bears fans, you know, bear, wearing Packers gear. But still, I guess I just don't, I don't know, I don't see this as being that unreasonable a policy. Let's talk to um, Andy in Fort Atkinson. Andy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? I just think it's interesting in this day and age of fantasy football and so many free agents. And what about the fan of a player that plays for the Bears now, mm-hmm. but I have his jersey when he played in Denver or something. Can mm-hmm. I not wear my Brandon Marshall jersey? I know he doesn't play for the Bears. Right. But, right? I mean, I think the NFL has got a conflict there because they're promoting, you know, that uh, maybe you know, 50 bucks or something for a jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I be a fan of the player or do i have to be a fan of the team does it make a difference if it's the team the op if if it's the if it's a team that they're playing that day because this well right now I, yeah. I understand what you're saying let's say the guy's a jay cutler fan and he's wearing like a cutler jersey what you know, back when cutler played for denver or like i said the, the flip side you know what's marshall went to the jets right first so like he's right. wearing a marshall thing but it's a jets thing but they're not playing the jets is that different than wearing like the packers jersey when they're playing the packers well, I was going to ask, what does opposing mean, right? Is it just that day, or is it all jersey? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see that. I don't know. I, I, it's, I think it's it's still America, right? Well, no, it, no, you're right. No, but no, you're right. I mean, thanks. No, it's America, and he gets to wear what he wants. I guess theoretically to the game, but I, I think. I mean, the question becomes: Do the Bears have? You know, I, I, I look, and I, I think they have the right to do that. I mean, again, I, I don't think this loss of free speech—that's just silly. Um, I mean, I think they have the right to do it. As I often say, does that mean it's the right thing to do? I mean, does this policy make sense if they say, "Hey, for this special opportunity, coming down and standing on the sidelines"? Um, no, we we want you. We don't want you to be decked out in the the opposing team's colors. Now, I don't know what would have happened if he would have showed up. If this had been for something other than the Packers, and he had showed up in the Packers in in Packers gear when they're playing the Chiefs or something, but if their policy is no, you, you don't have to wear Bears gear, but we don't want you to wear opposing team stuff. Yes, I understand why they're doing that. Um, let's talk to Scott in Brown Deer. Scott, you're on six twenty BTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, I, I, well, I, I think that uh, all of the teams, if they have that policy, are missing out on an opportunity. Um, to me, it's a, it's a PR opportunity. That guy shows up wearing a Packer jersey. Why not hand him an Urlacher or <laughs> or put him uh, put him in something in Chicago? Um, especially if he's a dual fan, he's he's had the right to be there because he bought season tickets. Right. Um, so so why wouldn't you want to uh, further assuage the man to maybe be a better Bear fan than Packer fan? Um, so I think they're missing out on an opportunity. Okay, there. okay let me change. Let me cultivate that. Let me change the facts a little for you. Okay, let us okay. assume that there's, I don't know, half a dozen of these like bear fans that that have the right to go on the sidelines, and what they decide to do is, we're going to 
like sell our tickets to that game and this right to a bunch of Packers fans. So it's not just one guy. So you got like five or six people dressed in Packers gear. Do you think the Bears would be within their rights to stop that? Or offer up a few more jerseys. I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, truly, truly. Did you ever see the Seinfeld episode where uh, uh, Elaine wore a Orioles hat to a Yankees game and sat in the press box or in the Yankees box? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. The same kind of uh, hoo-ha happened. Yeah. So. yeah it's, uh, it, maybe this guy is trying to relive the Seinfeld stuff. Now, thanks, I mean, I think, to me, it's an interesting thing, and I guess I, I don't know if other teams. I don't know if other teams do that. I don't know how many other teams, you know, give that sideline access. I guess, I don't know. This is one, and believe me, it pains me to say this, I don't think it's necessarily unreasonable for a team to say, if we're giving you this kind of special access, we're not telling you you can't come dressed, you know, Packers gear and sit in the stands, but if we're giving you this kind of extra special access, well, we, we want you to be flying our own colors. It's 9.55. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Got a lot of stuff coming up. Um, speaking of football, story that uh, the Redskins are paying a lot of attention to. A Wisconsin prison warden convicted of a violation. Some people say the guy should be out of a job. We're going to talk about that next. And... All right. I mean, is the Trump administration really as much of a train wreck as the Washington Post would have you believe? Stick around. It's 10.08. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. As I was talking about when the show started, uh, a lot of people watching this congressional election in Georgia. It's to fill a spot vacated by a congressman who left his job left the Congress to become the Secretary of Health and Human Services. This is the old Newt Gingrich seat. It's suburban Atlanta. Um, over $60 million has been spent in one congressional seat. I mean, just to give you perspective, Milwaukee County is essentially one congressional seat. That's Gwen Moore. Um, imagine $60 million being spent in Milwaukee County to try to win a, a race. And again, I, I don't I mean, I and I appreciate the fact that I think you have an absolute right to do that, but just think of all you could do with $60 million. But um, this is being watched because th- there's, at least among you know Democratic activists, there's this huge belief that you know, Donald Trump is sinking the Republican Party. And, you know, we should be, we being the Democratic activists, we should be able to, you know, win seats. And that's going to be in a position for us to retake Congress uh, two years from now or a year and a half from now. Now, that's been so far they haven't succeeded. You know, there was a race in Montana. The Republican won. There was a race in Kansas. The Republican won. But this is, again, it's a Republican-leaning district, and it's going to be extremely close. And it's being watched because if the Republicans win it's going to be viewed as, well, okay, here's another chance that the Democrats, they spent all this money, they mobilized, they did all these things, they still couldn't win. Um, that's not a rebuke of the Trump uh, agenda. On the contra- flip side, if the Democrat wins, the argument's going to be, hey, look, this shows how unpopular Donald Trump is, and we're going to use this as momentum to you know, take back uh, the House of Representatives in November of 2018. And the truth of the matter is, and I'm going to say this in advance of whatever the result is, the polls show it to be very, very close, I, I think – Whatever happens, the headlines, one way or the other, are probably going to overstate the impact of this particular race. But that's what it always does. But there's no question that Donald Trump is is a polarizing figure. There's no question about it. On the left, you've got this really this hate Trump movement. 
that, that is there. And it's energized like the Bernie bots, the, the, the far left wing of the Democratic Party. And actually to the extent that there's a lot of conflict between the, the anti-Trump left and like mainstream Democrats, to the extent there's any such thing as a mainstream Democrat now, because the anti-Trump left is saying, you've got to fight, you've got to fight him on everything, every chance you can get. Let's pour millions of dollars into this race and that race. We have to fight him. We've got to fight him on the beaches. We've got to fight him on the streets. We have to fight him everywhere. Whereas the mainstream Democrats, the Democratic establishment is saying, well, we have to marshal our resources. We have to figure out what battles we can really win. You just can't fight on all these different fronts. And the anti-Trump left doesn't want to hear that. They are, of course, aided and abetted by the, the mainstream media, which is completely in bed with them. The New York Times, the Washington Post, and I read these papers so you don't have to, um, to a lesser extent, like the local paper. But particularly, like a lot of the mainstream papers, it's just, all right, you, you get the idea that Trump is the Antichrist. And, and, you know, anything goes in trying to bring him down. So there's another story in the Washington Post that kind of echoes this sort of thought. And it, it starts off by talking about how the president's job approval rating is down around 35 or 36 percent, depending on what poll you look at. I, I know there's another poll that suggests it's higher. But but, you know, in general, he is underwater. His disapproval rating is higher than his approval rating. But the, the now the tone of this and this story is that Trump supporters, people who voted for him, have become disillusioned and are bailing on him. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I don't get this sense at all. I mean, I don't I understand that the president is controversial. And I understand that there is a a, a segment of the country that just doesn't like him. There's, you know, you've, you've got like I say the anti-Trump hate left and and they can't stand him. And clearly, I think they are a lot more vocal than the Trump supporters. That's always what happens. The opposition is always going to be more vocal to something. And so you've got that. And it is, of course, I think unquestionably aided and abetted by the mainstream media. But I don't get any sense at all that among people who supported the president, that support has eroded. You know, maybe some people are a little bit troubled by what I always describe as the, the style, not the substance, the tweets and things like that. But I wanted to tee this up. 414-799-1620. There's all these, these series of stories now saying people who supported Trump are now bailing on him. I don't believe that to be the case. If you were a Trump supporter, have you decided, gee, I made a mistake when I casted a vote for him? I mean, are you having second thoughts? Are you regretting the fact that he was elected? That's the media narrative that's emerging now, and I don't think it's accurate. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, if you voted for Donald Trump, if you were a Trump supporter, have you come to regret your decision? I don't believe there's too many people out there, but I'm curious. Let's start with Dan in Milwaukee. Dan, you're first on 620 WTMJ. Oh, hey, thank you. Yeah, you know, uh, I think he's doing a fine job. The only thing I don't like is all the tweeting. I would yeah. love it if he stopped the tweeting, but I think he's doing a great job, and I'm really tired of the Washington Post and news outlets like that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So you would agree. I mean, you, you, your objection kind of falls into what I describe sort of as the style, not the substance. You know, okay, don't, you don't need to send out the things at 5 a.m., but basically right. you're, you're not regretting your decision to vote for him at all. Absolutely not. 
Okay, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm really trying to get a pulse of the, the electorate because that's... You know, that that is now the premise that is moving through a lot of this coverage that people who supported him are having buyer's remorse. Gee, we made a mistake. That's the narrative. I don't think it's true. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1014. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1017. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. How is Milwaukee's Muslim community reacting to the weekend terrorist attack outside a mosque in London? Scafidi and Billstadt speak with a local Muslim leader at 135 this afternoon here on WTMJ. Okay, the screaming headline in the Washington Post. Two years ago, they couldn't look away. Now some Trump supporters are tuning out. This is the, the emerging it's one of the emerging narratives I'm seeing in the mainstream media, the idea that there's buyer's remorse going on. People who voted for Donald Trump are now regretting it. I don't get that sense at all. 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's talk to Doug in Washington Island. Doug, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Long-time listener, first time talking. This motivated you to pick up the phone. Okay, great. Welcome to the show. Well, I, I'm, I'm driving, and <laughs> I didn't have a chance to text, as I usually do. I am a Trump supporter before. I am still a Trump supporter, more than ever convinced that he's on the right track. Um, are, is there any, what you say, more than ever convinced? Why, why is that? What has happened to make you even firmer in your commitment? The response of our um, opponents, to be gentle, enemies, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the louder they squeal, the more that we know that we're on the right track. Um, yeah, and, and there, there's certainly a lot of... There's certainly a lot of squealing going on. I mean, there's this one of the lessons of this current administration is it's a reflection on on the, the profession, and I use that now in quotation marks of journalism, because there, there's no question that you you have the mainstream media completely and totally in the bag for the anti-Trump left, um, with one obsession after another. And like I say, I. I, I, I read the New York Times and the Washington Post, so you don't have to. And it's just amazing that the, diff, that the coverage and the, the, the spin and the, just the, the attacks that are, are coming out. Uh, let me see. Um, our text line is exploding. The mainstream media, fake news, um, push the big lie. I'll stick by my president and trust that he keeps doing his job and gets our economy moving again. Actually, um, if you've got money invested in 401K plans and stuff, Doing really well. Text line. Uh, two words. Neil Gorsuch. Wishful thinking on the part of the New York Times and the Washington Post. Uh, let's see. Beth says, I voted for Trump. His tweeting doesn't bother me. It's why he won. I am disappointed that he hasn't been able to get the travel ban passed. I want the wall. I think liberals are pouring mud and molasses in his way, but no regrets. I will vote for him again. Um, interesting. Let's see. Um Mike writes, I did vote for Trump, but now I'm not very happy on the work he's doing. I think he's making a lot of mistakes. 414-799-1620. Tony on the east side. Tony, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Um, I'd just like to say that I wasn't a uh, avid Trump supporter in the beginning. Um, uh, Ted Cruz was my guy. Uh, but now that Trump is actually in office and I see what's going on and what he's uh, trying to accomplish, I think he is the best choice. Uh, for the job, and I'm happier now than I've ever been with uh, what he's doing because uh, he he's the type of guy that is not going to take any punches. I wish he would stop tweeting, but he knows how to sling the mud. He knows how to get things done, and he knows how to deal with these people. Uh, okay, does it, does, I mean, if, if you if you do what I do, and, and trust me. 
don't don't spend your time doing this. But if you pick up the New York Times on any given day, you'll see five or six stories talking about, oh, Russia, Russia this, Russia that, collusion, all these type of things. Does, does that not bother you? Um, it does bother me quite a bit. Um, I, I, I don't like seeing it. Um, but I'm the type of guy I want to see the evidence. Mm-hmm. All I have to say is there was tons of evidence against Hillary and they did nothing. I think this really is a witch hunt. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're trying to find anything to bring him down. And, and, and it's unfortunate. Well, I think there, there's, it, it is, there, there is an, there is an obsession. And, uh, look, I mean, there, it's clearly, I mean, and I've said this before. If, if you have evidence that Russia was trying to mess around in our election, I mean, I think that's a big deal. And, and that's one thing. But it, it, quite candidly, in the mainstream media, they haven't been able to separate that issue from, oh, Trump had to be involved. Trump had to be involved. Do I believe Russia was trying to monkey around with our election? Of course, I, I think they did. But then it's that next step that there was collusion. There, there's no meaningful sort of evidence. And I don't think anybody's seen any meaningful evidence, which is now why you've seen the mainstream media shift from, OK, there's not necessarily collusion. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at when he fired James Comey. Was that obstruction of justice? Really? Give me a break. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to um, Paul in Waukesha. Paul, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm more for Trump now than when I first voted for him. Uh, I wasn't sure, but the the opponent was so bad that I voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the opposition is just baloney. Obama did whatever he wanted to, and nobody said a word. Mm-hmm. And now the guy's trying to help the country, and they're trying to step on his head every time he turns around. But he does know how to put his foot in his mouth. So you think a lot of the criticism is unfair, even though um, he might he might bring some of it on himself? <laughs> all of, I'd say almost all of the criticism is unfair, but he just adds fuel to the fire by, by making statements that uh, antagonize the ones that are causing the trouble. Well, um, he does. I mean, <laughs> there's no... There's no question that he's he is aggressive. You might be able to say, I mean, look, the Donald Trump you're seeing in the White House is is no different than the Donald Trump people saw on the campaign trail. I mean, that's um, so if you you find his style to be off putting, it's it's not a surprise. He's thin skinned. He's always been thin skinned. You can argue that he's a bit of a bully. There's no question about that as well. But but at the same time, just just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that people aren't, in fact, out to get you. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1023. It's 1025. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The headline in the Washington Post, two years ago they couldn't look away. Now some Trump supporters are tuning out. And this is this is the new emerging media narrative that essentially buyer's remorse, that people who – couldn't get enough of Donald Trump when he started campaigning or who voted for him in November of last year are now, again, having buyer's remorse. They regret their decision. That might be the narrative. I don't get the sense, though, that that's real. 414-799-1620 is the number. Jeff in Pewaukee. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. Thanks. Sure. What do you think? Well, prior to the election, I was torn because I didn't care for either candidate. I liked a little bit more of Trump, but I wasn't sure. But there was a caller that called into your station, and it was an older lady, and she decided to vote for Trump. And her 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 logic changed my vote. She said that if Trump is elected in office, 
everything he does will be have checks and balances. Every single move that person makes. Yep. If Hillary were elected, there would be many things that would not be checked over. Oh, there I would have been I, no I, scrutiny, essentially. I mean, the, the mainstream media would have been celebrating Hillary Clinton as the second coming, and, and there would have been no critical analysis, just like there was almost no critical analysis of anything that Barack Obama did. Absolutely. And that was the tipping point for me. I stuck with that. And now more than ever, it's proving to be amazing because the person can't do anything without checks and balances. So I'm even stronger for Trump than I've ever been. Would you vote for him if he ran again? Absolutely. Okay. Thanks for call. Uh, let's go to our text line. The question should be, what Democrat could do better? Trump is the man. Um, I did not vote for Trump in the past election, but when he runs again, I will vote for him. Huh. Um, interesting. Mike writes, I did vote for Trump, but now I'm not very happy on the work he's doing. I think he's making a lot of mistakes. I just, um, I just look at this and I guess I, I, I understand why he is in fact controversial. I, I clearly, I clearly get that. But the truth of the matter is, I, I think that this notion that people are abandoning him, I just think is just flat out wrong. I think um, the people who love him continue to love him. The people who hate him are absolutely adamant, just crazy in their their hatred. And then, as often is the case, there's a group of of mainstream Americans for whom the the jury is still out, who look at it and say, kind of like I do, well, okay, I I think there's certain policy things that I agree with. There's certain stuff that I I don't agree with. And and let's face it, I mean, Trump inherited a mess. You've got this Obamacare situation, which is it's just an absolute disaster. I was looking at a story today talking about how all these different insurance markets, there's going to be a lot of states that unless something is done, there's not even going to be insurers that are going to be participating in this. Then you've got the, the crazy left, the Bernie bots, who are pushing for, well, I, I want single-payer health care, which would cost 32 T as in trillion dollars, and essentially eliminate your choices to doctors, create months and months of waiting in order to have routine procedures but but people are again giving this kind of knee-jerk reaction that, that's out there and you've got the need for tax reform and you've got a madman in north korea and then you've got all the problems in syria and you've got a, a media which is just unhinged um first of all out of a basic hatred of donald trump and secondly out of this you've got a struggling media that's trying to sell newspapers and how do you sell newspapers well you do it by you know creating sensational headlines uh, again i i understand that trump is controversial and i don't necessarily take issue with the idea that if you look at these polls he's probably underwater in that but this idea that you have all sorts of people who voted for him or bailing on him i don't think that is accurate at all all right when we come back we're going to talk a little bit about um, this Supreme Court case involving redistricting and how many of the usual suspects are once again getting it wrong. And then after that, all right, a controversy involving some corrections officials, but not for what you might think. Stick around. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, you might think you've saved enough for retirement, but some experts say there may be one major thing you've missed. Listen to John McCure for the answer. 434 this afternoon during Wisconsin's Afternoon News. 
Man, you want to talk about Revenge of the D-List? Is there is Hondo is producing the show today and always. Is there an F list? I mean, because it, it, right, he says there ought to be. It, well, if there was an F list, th- this would be it. The the line of people jumping in to challenge Paul Ryan for his congressional seat. Now let okay, Paul Ryan is beloved in his district. Okay, that's just the reality, and I, I understand that there's people who are rabid. Oh, we got to defeat Paul Ryan. But it is amazing, the people that are coming out of the woodwork. Okay, first, he's going to have a challenge in the Republican primary again. This this Paul Nalen is going to run against him. Nalen was the guy that was backed by uh, a couple kind of crazy national talk show hosts and Sarah Palins of the world. Uh, he was going to challenge Paul Ryan because he, he wasn't supportive enough of Donald Trump. And that's apparently what he's saying in a, in a fundraising letter he's sending out. Paul Ryan is blocking everything on the Trump agenda which makes you wonder what this guy is smoking. Do we drug test candidates? Anyhow, so Nalen challenged him last time. Um, he lost by 68 percentage points. Now, trust me, that leaves a mark. <laughs> you know, when you, when you, when you lose by – it is tough. It's t- I mean, it, it's tough to lose by more than 10. He lost by 68 percentage points and not being willing to take no for an answer. This guy is going to run in the primary against Paul Ryan again. All right, so let us assume that Paul Ryan gets out of the the primary, which I think, let let me say, if you're looking for pretty much sure things, that would be a sure thing. So who are the Democrats that are running against Paul Ryan? Well, there's a guy named David Yankovic, who is a Democratic carpetbagger. Um, He's from Ohio, and he's going to be moving into the district that Paul Ryan has lived in essentially his entire life to to try to build a campaign against Ryan. Then you've got this other guy um, who maybe he's hoping like the fourth time is the charm. His name is Randy Bryce. Um, he's, he's like a union activist. He, let's see, lost races for the Wisconsin legislature in 2012, 2014, lost a primary for the Racine County Board of Education in 2013. So he's failed twice to run win for the legislature. He can't get out of a primary for the Racine School Board. And he says, well, I'm going to raise $2 million and run against Paul Ryan. I've learned a lot, Bryce said. The people of Wisconsin know who I am. I have community roots. Maybe that's one way of looking at it. Maybe the other way would be, yes, the people of Wisconsin know, at least that district, know who you are, and nobody thinks you should be in elective office. You lost in 2012, you lost in 2014, and lost a prime. You can't get out of a primary for the Racine County Board of Education. So now, it's it's a free country. Everybody gets to run. Guy says, I'm going to run. I'm going to raise at least $2 million for this run. Well, anybody who would donate money to this character, again, I... People are free to do whatever they want as far as giving money, but the bottom line is, um, with this kind of track record, running against Paul Ryan, my advice would be, um, if you want to just throw your money away, uh, take a $20 bill, go out to your driveway, light it on fire, because at least you'll get to watch it burn. You know, that's that's at least, that's it. Uh, yes, that would be the F list lining up to run against Paul Ryan. Um, no question about that. All right. I, I want to just double back on something we talked about yesterday. We had the Attorney General of the State of Wisconsin on, who was actually giving an analysis that sort of not picked up in the mainstream media. Let me back into this, because I think, I explained this yesterday, but I think there's a, still a lot of 
of confusion. If you didn't hear us talking about it yesterday, I want you to at least be prepared and understand what, what this Supreme Court case is all about. The term gerrymandering relates to drawing up political districts for illegal partisan advantage. The way the Constitution works is that every, under the law, let's just take Wisconsin, there's 99 assembly districts. And then each Senate district has three assembly districts in it, so there's 33 Senate districts. Under the law, each district has to have approximately the same number of, of people. So let's say, uh, just for the sake of argument, let's say there's 100,000. So each district, assembly district, let's say for the sake of argument, you know, has to have 100,000 people in it. And if that's, if that's, not, that's way bigger than they are in Wisconsin, but for the sake of argument. Well, what happens is people move. You know, over the course of time, maybe you have a bunch of people who, for example, live in the city of Milwaukee, and they move to the city of Waukesha. So now the assembly district that had 100,000 people, now it's only got 80,000 people in my example. Well, how do you account for that? So what happens is every 10 years after the census, districts have to be redrawn to reflect, again, the number of people in them. And because people do move and because one district might lose people or another might gain people over the years, you have to redraw the maps to, uh, again, make sure there's the same number of people in them. Gerrymandering relates to drawing the maps for an illegal purpose. For example, let's say you, you don't want black, and this is, this, is, this is where it has been identified in the past. You don't want black people to be able to elect African-American candidates. So what you do is you take oh, a, a district that ha- is 80% African-American. We'll assume that people are 80, or more, if they're African-American, you're more likely to vote for somebody who's African-American. So, and then you carve it up. So instead of having one district that's primarily African-American, in my example, let's say you create five districts. You, you move all those African-American people that live in the city, and you put them in different surrounding districts that are predominantly white, so there's not a majority-minority district, and so you know the white candidates that run in these districts, they end up winning. All right, that, That's illegal gerrymandering. It's based on, on race. Well, all right, what happened in Wisconsin after the 2010 census is Republicans, because Republicans controlled the legislature and the governorship, they got to redraw the boundaries. And actually, the boundaries weren't altered that much from what courts had done the previous 10 years. But so, so they altered them. And what's happened in Wisconsin is you have high concentrations of Democrats in certain areas. Democrats tend to live in the city of Milwaukee. Democrats tend to live in Dane County, but the rest of the state is a majority Republican state. So what's happened is when they drafted these various districts, you have some districts because the boundaries are all close together. and You've got a lot of Democrats living in Milwaukee. You've got very heavily Democratic districts like in the city of Milwaukee and in Dane County. Republicans effectively have no chance of winning these seats. But because Democrats all are living in certain areas or there's a high concentration, what that means is geographically the rest of the state tends to be highly Republican. 
And so what happens is, let's say there's a 50-50 vote for, for president or whatever, but it results in the Republicans winning about 60 of or 63 of the 99 seats. And it's it's because you have a number of these areas where there's a heavy concentration of Democrats. Well, the Democrats don't like the fact that they're not winning. So what they've done is they filed this challenge coming up with this cockamamie scheme of the what they call it the efficiency gap, which says there's too many Democrats in certain of these areas. You need to spread us out. Well, of course, if you spread them out, that means you're going to be creating all these weird-shaped districts and trying to lump part of the city of Milwaukee in with Waukesha or, or whatever to spread them out. The problem isn't with the way the lines were drawn. The problem, to the extent there is a problem, is that like-minded people tend to congregate heavily in certain areas, and that's just the way it works. So the Democrats don't like the fact that they're losing seats in Wisconsin because of this. They've come up with this screwball theory developed by some professors at the University of Chicago saying, well, there's wasted votes because when more... Uh, okay, it's because you've got a Democrat in the city of Milwaukee who's going to win with 80 percent of the vote. Um, and that means that there's, you know, people in Waukesha who are going to elect Republicans. There's not. But the problem is there's not enough Republicans in Waukesha. It's not the problem with the lines. It's the problem with where people live. So in any event, lawsuit was filed. You got two federal judges uh, in a two to one vote that guppied on this silly, in my opinion, silly theory. Yesterday, the Supreme Court agreed to review the case. But most importantly, by a five to four vote, they issued a stay of an order that these districts be withdrawn, be redrawn. To me, the fact that they issued a stay indicates that there's at least five judges on the court that aren't buying this theory. So Journal Sentinel has an editorial saying it's just unfair. It, it's it's unfair. The Journal Sentinel would write that same editorial, though, if Republicans redrew the map that took a bunch of people in the city of Milwaukee and lumped them in with Ozaki County so that Republicans were winning there, then they would be screaming racism. The reality is there's no constitutional problem with what happened. It's good that the Supreme Court took the case to resolve this. It's even better that the Supreme Court issued a stay indicating that they're not buying what some of these lefties are selling. All good news. 1045, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1049, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, Honda, you know what I'm doing this afternoon? I am making a trip to the bank. Why am I making a trip to the bank? Well, because I was in the bank the other day. And they've got this big sign up saying that effective the end of July, they're no longer going to have coin counting machines in any of their branches. That if you have like and the only way they will take change is if you've like wrapped it up in rolls or things like that, which has now motivated me because I I told the story a couple of years ago and it's playing out again. I I have I have a couple friends who think I'm crazy, but I want to discuss this quickly with you. Um, I there's two types of people in the world, I'm convinced. Those who view change as a nuisance and those who save change. Now, what I do at the end of every day, I come home, I empty my pockets. I put it into a plastic cup that is in like my office. When the plastic cup gets full, I then take the change and I dump it into one of two plastic jars. They're like bigger than milk jugs. They're like plastic containers that I have upstairs. When And it takes me about two years to fill these plastic containers. But when both plastic containers get filled, I take them to the bank. And they're heavy to lift. 
Um, I think my record, and I might be close to that today, I've had over $800 in change in these two things. I mean, seriously, because, I mean, they're, they're filled to the brim with change. And sometimes it just depends on, yeah, but I've had about $800. And then I put it in the, I put it in my saving account and I use it, you know, to help underwrite a trip to Vegas or something like that. And it takes me a couple years to do that. And again, one is completely full. One is about, 90% full, but I saw this sign saying that they're no longer going to be using change counting machines, and I thought, okay, <laughs> this afternoon, I'm, I'm making the tr- – Hondo says they're a bank. Yeah, but it, I, I, the reason a lot of banks are doing this because it's time-consuming. I think they don't – they don't want the tellers to have to do this. It's a pain in the butt. I, I understand you're rolling your eyes. I agree. I don't get to make the rules, but the, my bank is dis- discontinuing it. So as a result, I'm going to visit them this afternoon. But I, I had a friend that I, I've had this ongoing conversation with who thinks that I am absolutely crazy with a capital C for just accumulating change like that. And I said, well, what do you do? I said, oh, I don't know. I just, I, I mean, I, I spend it. You know, I always have a little bit around, but there, there's no way I would go through all this process of, of saving this and saving this. And, Jeff, you really keep this going for a couple of years? Yeah, I keep it going for a couple of years until it, it's a big amount. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I don't think I'm a dime. I acknowledge that when it comes to, to some things, like still reading hard copies of newspapers and things like that, I am somewhat of a dinosaur. But I I don't think this is unusual. I guess I is it is it odd to, um, to, for somebody to do what I do, which is to collect change and, you know, allow it to accumulate. And then you get a certain amount. Now, now maybe you, you think it's crazy to put it in these big jugs and wait till it gets to be seven or eight hundred dollars. I would understand that. But. Don't people save their spare change nowadays? Is it really such is it really such a nuisance? I mean, actually I think it's kind of a pretty good payday. I don't pay attention to the change until all of a sudden you get it full and I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a good time this afternoon because there's gonna be there's at least five hundred bucks in there, maybe more. Uh Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, good morning, you're at six twenty WTMJ. Hey Jeff, since Clark Howard suggested to do so in, I don't know, like around 2010, I've been keeping a small bank, it looks like a little treasure chest, in my bedroom and putting change in and doing the same thing, and I probably will be going to my bank, and (laughs) if they stopped doing that, I would probably be ticked off. Yeah, I mean, right, I I mean, again, I I mean, I I was actually, I was asking the woman behind the counter, the teller, that's what they're called, I was saying, is this is it just this branch, or are you eliminating change machines at all the, the banks, including like the one the main downtown? Except, yep, they're, they're all gone. We're it's, it's Bimo Harris. We're getting rid of the change machines. Uh, Dave in West Dallas. Dave, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, I just took my change in today. That was like uh, three hundred twenty eight bucks. I do it twice a year. It's good Christmas money. Yeah, it's like found money too, because you don't. I mean, it's it's kind of a forced yeah. way of savings. You don't even think about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I purposely do not pull the change out of my pocket when I stop anywhere. Yeah, you, just, you, so I take it home and I put it in a jar. And when the jar is full, I take it in. Yeah, three hundred bucks. No, thanks. I mean, it, it, it's dough. Andy and Grafton. Andy, you're in six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. We just moved from Wauwatosa after many years, and we had a five-gallon water cooler jug that we could barely lift, and they took that in uh, two weeks ago, $1,630. $1,600. Bucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, we also we also change in uh, smaller amounts at our other house, but sure. the other thing that I, that I do is I save all my ones, and when I get oh. 100 I get a $100 bill, and I put it in the, in the safe, and we've got about $21,000 doing that. 
Yeah, you know, that's compulsive yeah, double. <laughs> yeah, well, no, well, that well, but th- I mean, that's great if you can do. It. I, mean, I haven't moved to that next level yet. I mean, thanks for I haven't moved to that next level, but I do. I mean, sixteen hundred dollars, and and you don't even you don't even know it. Like I say, I think I've had these two things going for it's, it's probably it's about every two years, and and now I mean, honestly, I would have probably waited another couple months because then I would have filled up the second jug. But if they're if at least at my bank they're not doing the coin counting machines anymore, that's not going to happen. Chris in Franksville. Chris, you're on 620 WTMJ. Is it odd to save change for that long? No, it isn't. We save it just like you do, and that's our fun money when we go to Greece every year. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's, okay, what's the most you've ever collected? What's the most you've ever cashed in? $2,100. We had to carry it into the bank in the suitcase with a plastic bag. <laughs> Twenty one hundred. Now, see, I thought I was doing well with like seven or eight hundred. You guys are putting me to shame. Last caller, sixteen hundred. Oh, yeah. You with twenty one hundred. Wow. Yep. And we save ones and fives, and we put those in a stocking. And actually, our financial advisor told us that's a very good way to save for like vacations and stuff because it does accumulate fast. Yeah, and it, it, it thinks, and it's completely found money. You just you don't you don't think uh, of it. You know, I mean, it's and and again, it's I I mean, I pay. I, you know, I mean, I, I pay for a lot of stuff with cash if I have the cash around. But yeah, so it's you know nine fifty two. You get forty eight cents. You throw it in. You don't even think about it. It does add up over time. Uh, let's talk to Barbara in Greenfield. Barbara, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Barbara. Well, we <laughs> we probably topped a few of yours, but we saved in jugs for years and years. In fact, four years ago, we had, like I said, maybe ten fifteen years accumulation of quarters and halves. Ooh. Well, when we took them into the bank, we had over four thousand dollars, <laughs> wow. which we used for basement repairs. We had emergency basement repairs yeah. with a time. It was God sent, <laughs> and we've been, we've been doing it ever since. But not to that to that extent. We say <laughs> once a year, each of us has our own job yeah. with quarters and dimes and nickels. But it's a couple hundred bucks every time we go in, which is great. Well, absolutely. It, it's a, thanks for that. I mean, it's a nice meal or found money or whatever. Avery and Grafton. Avery, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I uh, used to be a teller for two years, and we had a lot of downtime. So there was tons of time for us to take in change. It mm-hmm. was an awesome thing. Yeah. yeah. So what would you do? You, t- you just take the thing in the back, and you dump it into the change counter, because that's why I was here, the, the rattle of change and then going through. So yep, it, you just hit the start button, and you let all the change go through, and it's really not that difficult. Yeah, so I don't. I mean, you know, banks are starting to get out of the business accounting change because I don't think mine is unique. But um, that that might be one thing that motivates me to at least you know find some other bank that'll accommodate me. Hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate. it. In any event, if you see me wandering around the streets with these like two giant containers this afternoon, I'm cashing in my change. It's ten fifty seven. It's 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, Colleen, what do you do with your spare change? Do you keep it? Yes, I do. And what's the most you've ever collected to turn in? Oh, gosh. I think somewhere in the uh, range of $15 or something Oh, like you're that. a piker. I'm, I'm, I know. I've it's got a small eight, container. I, 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 I'll, bet you, <laughs> I'll bet you I've got $800, but that's nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm, our text line is exploding. People, 3000 2000 you know, big big dollars, well, big it gets, money. It gets to a point where you have so much of it in all these little different places, or maybe something big, I don't know, and then you just don't want to move it because it's too heavy. 
right? Well, Isn't I, it too much? No, I just, I mean, I accumulate it till I have enough that it's going to make like a difference. And, you know, and then and, you cash it in, right? And, right. Well, and what's really motivating is, like I say, more and more banks, including mine, are now saying they're not going to take change anymore. I um, know. I saw that too. I was surprised. So, right, but it's interesting. I'm also hearing from a number of people who are texting about how this is one of these, and, and that's actually the larger sort of issue. It's, it's how. It's it's how certain businesses are going to survive, and that is by providing these the services that maybe some of the big places take for granted. It's, it's it's why local pharmacies, I think, can compete with some of the mega pharmacies around because they can offer a degree of service. And you say if one of the big, you know, national or international banks wants to pull out its change counters because they view it as an annoyance that their tellers have to do that. That's going to perhaps drive people to, you know, go to some of these smaller banks that still provide the service. I was told too that those change sorters break down a lot. They have a lot of maintenance issues as well. So yeah. I don't, don't know. know if that's not, the case. not my problem. You know, <laughs> I, I will like the woman behind the counter. I was talking to the teller. She says, "Well, you you can you can roll up the coins and we'll take them then." I'm like, "Okay, I've got eight hundred dollars in change. I'm not." That really is God's way of telling you have too much time on your hands. I'm not going to sit around and, and roll quarters, dimes, and nickels because you're probably not going to believe me anyways. At some point in time, aren't you going to aren't you going to like open them up and you know make sure that there's all there? But in any event, I digress. That's what I'm doing this afternoon. Looking forward to it. All right, here is an interesting story, and I, I'm very curious about what your reaction is. The headline is. Wisconsin prison warden employees convicted of fishing violations. So here's the deal. There's a guy, he is the warden at Columbia Correctional Institution, the deputy warden at Green Bay Correctional Institution, and a corrections employee who is now working with the state's adult prison division. So these three guys, together with some retired people from the correctional from the correction system, they go on a fishing trip, right? So they they go to a fishing trip in Ohio, and they're out there fishing for walleyes. And apparently, there's as people who are fishermen know that there are a um, there's there's a, there's a bag limit. In any given day, there's only you know so many walleyes that you you can take. And of course, this has become controversial in Wisconsin because they they have certain you know, limits on the number of fish that you can take, and some of these limits are so artificially low that it's really like killing tourism. So anyhow, you have these six guys, three current employees, three retired employees. They go to Ohio. They they go fishing. And then what they do is apparently they um, do what is called double tripping. They catch their limit of walleyes. Then what they do is they go back to the shore they put their fish, they leave their fish on the shore, and then they go back again and catch another limit. So they're, they're violating the bag limit. All right? Okay. Um, they get caught doing that. Um, they get fined. Um, and the fine is a few hundred bucks. Um, they have to pay $300 in restitution for catching 12 fish, six fish more than the legal limit, um, they pay the fine for the extra fish, so it, it's a couple hundred dollars in addition to the three hundred dollar, um, the three hundred dollars in restitution. Um, all six people, the three current employees and the three other retired employees, lose their fishing privileges in Ohio for a year, and will soon have them suspended in Wisconsin because of a re- reciprocal agreement. They also receive ten day jail sentences 
which were suspended on the condition that they don't commit the same offense again. Okay, so these guys go on this trip. They, they double trip. They take more than their limit. They should not do this. They get caught. They pay. They fine. All right. Um, George Meyer, who is the now executive director of Wisconsin Wildlife Federation, which is kind of this sort of lefty group. He used to be the secretary of the DNR. Um, he, he's, he's outraged uh, about the, this whole thing. You know, um, he talks about this. This is terrible. You break the law because um, this law is to prevent people from overfishing and leaving fewer fish from other anglers. Someone with law enforcement responsibilities breaking the law makes it even worse. A multiple trip offense is a fourth degree misdemeanor in Ohio that requires a court appearance. So they were, in fact, convicted. All right. If you are an employee of the Wisconsin Department of Correction, you are required to inform your supervisor if you have a run-in with the police outside of work. So now, um, apparently, these guys did report the police contact, contact, and now there is an internal investigation to determine if work rules are violated. The question being, should there be disciplinary action taken against these employees because they went to Ohio and they caught more than their limit. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, anybody who is a sportsman or an outdoorsman, I think is right to be upset with the fact that these guys did this double tripping, that they caught more fish than they were supposed to. They were caught. They were punished. They have apparently reported it to the state. Should there be anything else that happens to them beyond beyond simply what happened in Ohio? In other words, is this something that the employees should be disciplined for? I will tell you what I think about this, and we will discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1116, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now, if this was drunken driving, all right, that, that might be, would that be different? This was catching too many fish. Should there be job actions against them or not? We'll discuss next, and I'll tell you where I come down on this. It's 1116. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, three members of the Wisconsin Department of Corrections, including a, a, a warden at one of the big prisons. They go on a fishing trip with some retired people from the corrections department in Ohio, and there's a limit on the number of walleyes you can catch. What they do is they double trip. They catch their limit, go back and catch their limit again. They get caught. They get convicted. It's a fourth-degree misdemeanor. They each have to pay a fine of a couple hundred bucks and pay restitution of 300 bucks. Now, apparently, there is an internal investigation. Should there be job action taken against them? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Shane in Milwaukee. Shane, good morning. Hey, morning, Jeff. Uh Long-time listener, first-time caller. Okay, interesting. This is what motivated you to call. What do you think about this? Yeah, I'm a uh, charter fishing captain on Lake Michigan, so the uh, the uh, following of the rules and taking too many fish is uh, a common discussion on the boat. Um, my thoughts are, you know, they knew what they were doing because sure. they, they took their fish in and, and they sure. cleaned them up and put them away and then sure. they went back out. Sure. And yep. uh, I think it's important that we hold... Uh, our Department of Corrections and, and all law enforcement to a very high standard. Uh, if there's a policy put in place saying, hey, you know, if you break the law, these are your consequences at work, I think they, they should be held accountable. Um, as, but uh, 
that's that's my thoughts on it. I well, I guess my question would be, I mean, right? I mean, I think the policy is just did you violate work rules? And I'm sure, I'm sure, a work rule. I would imagine there is a work rule that says that you, um, you know, you're, you're not supposed to commit crimes or anything. But I guess w- would you would you fire these guys? Would you put them on? Would you suspend them for weeks for doing this? Uh no, yeah. no. I, I, it's, uh, it is a wildlife violation, and it's important yeah. that we we protect our our natural resources, but. As right. far as interfering with their ability to work for the Department of Corrections, absolutely not. Yeah, see, and that's what I agree with. I mean, I, and I'm, I don't don't email me saying that you're 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 soft on these violations. No, I mean, obviously, I agree with you, Shane. They knew what they were doing. That's why you you bring in you you go in you you put the one you put the one fish that where the fish where it's supposed to be. Then you go out and you get more fish. I mean, clearly, they were trying to avoid the bag limits. At least that's my take on this. They've been convicted of this. They appeared in court. They had their fishing licenses suspended in Ohio, and it will be suspended in Wisconsin for however long it's suspended. They're going to have to have to pay you know fine. They're going to have to make restitution. And I think all that is appropriate. And if you want to argue that the penalty for doing that is too light. I'm even perhaps willing to, you know, accept that. But uh, work rules, job action, really? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dennis in Kenosha. Dennis, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. What do you think, sir? previous caller. I'm um, an average Lake Michigan fisherman myself. Um, I don't think additional penalty penalties should be delivered. Um, I don't see a correlation between their job um, task and the fine. However, I would say this. If they tried to say, don't don't you know who I am? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Badge their way out of it or something. Badging their way out of it. Then I would take a different perspective and say, hey, these these guys, you'd never bring that up. Say I'm an accountant. I would say, well, I'm an accountant. Mm -hmm. But a police officer or correction officer may say, well, I'm a correctional officer, which it would never be relevant. Why would you ever bring that up? That's the only way that I would yeah. do additional. And see, and I don't disagree with you on that either, Dennis. I mean, right, if there was, and to my knowledge, there was none of that. If, if there was, okay, you know, you, you get stopped, you get stopped for a speeding ticket or something, and you're a cop and you pull out the badge, you try to ask for special consideration. That, to me, that's bringing your position into it. And I, I do think that that raises it to a, a particularly different class of thing. But if you're a bunch of guys, you're on vacation, you did something that you should not do. Nobody is condoning that. Um, you, you take the consequences, you pay the dough, you, you move on. I mean, I, I don't think this is something that is subject to, again, workplace review. Now, you change the facts a little. Okay, if you say to me, Jeff, would your argument be different if this was domestic abuse? Somebody beats the heck out of their, their spouse. Well, okay, that to me... That, to me, is different without minimizing fishing violations. That, to me, is different than this. They paid their fine. I think they, they did their time. All right. Chris in Wapan. Chris, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi there. Um, these people that were involved, one of the ones in particular has a very checkered past and has had more than one harassment complaint filed against him. So that would lead me to believe that this is a man that doesn't follow the rules regardless of where he goes. So I personally think that this isn't a man who's fit for running an institution. Um, their their fines also state that they be law-abiding. Mm-hmm. So law-abiding means not just no similar offense, means they be law-abiding. Would that subject them to a traffic ticket? Because DOC employees have been terminated for too many traffic tickets. 
So you've got Executive Directive 42 that specifies you cannot be under any type of supervision or suspended sentence for more than six months. Well, they're on it for a year. So they're directly violating an executive directive, what so, gives them so, exemption over others. So you would have you would have these people fired for taking too many fish? Too many fish. I don't know if I'd have them, well, no, I wouldn't have them fired for taking too many fish. They admitted criminal misconduct in a court of law. But the criminal they, misconduct was taking was taking too many fish. Well, what's the difference between a loaf of bread and ten bucks or, or too many fish? You're, you're justifying stealing on a different level. So you're stealing, but because it's well, I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't fire, I, I wouldn't fire them for shoplifting a pack of lifesavers either, though. But they're breaking the law. You're well, not firing them for stealing too many fish because you deem fish insignificant. You're firing them for breaking the law, and that's exactly what they admitted to doing. So, so any, any, you, any, you would, line. you would say that any misdemeanor conviction should result in a Department of Corrections employee being terminated. I would not say that Executive Directive 42 specifies they cannot be on a suspended sentence, which they currently are. I don't make the rules. I just read them. So, right. So, so your interpretation of that rule would be any then Department of Correction employee convicted of a misdemeanor that is on some form of, of supervision. Now, in this particular case, my understanding is that if there's no... If there's no violation, the whole thing goes away, is my understanding, if there's no continual, continuous violation. But so any any... Suspended sentence for a misdemeanor, you think we should be firing Department of Corrections employees? Do I think that? It's not up to me to think that. That's what Executive Director 42 uh, Okay, says. well, is that the, um, let me ask you this, is that the policy? Anybody convicted of a misdemeanor is in fact fired? That is I, the policy they currently follow, yes. So anybody convicted of a misdemeanor gets fired? Um, they recently terminated a female employee for having too many traffic citations per ED42, so that is correct. Well, okay, but that's... The, okay. Well, no, but but I understand. But that's not that wasn't my question. My question was not because I understand that there might be certain offenses that you would in fact terminate people for. I mean, domestic abuse Correct. would be the example. But Correct. my question was: Is that the policy that is applied all across the board for for every misdemeanor offense? That is the policy that is applied to select people when they determine those are the people they want right. to get rid of. Well, okay. I mean, thank, I see. And I guess that. <laughs> I mean, here, here's the bottom line. If, if we're going to start firing public employees for misdemeanors, I mean, low-level misdemeanors, not related to their jobs at all. Now, I mean, can I understand, like, too many traffic offenses, depending on what the nature of the traffic offenses are? Can, can I understand why you might want to terminate? Yes. Um, if we're going to start firing all government employees, all people, you know, all jailers, all people who work in the corrections department, because they get a misdemeanor conviction that requires, I mean, some degree of, you know, supervision, um, you're not going to have anybody that, that's that's left there, um, uh, especially since, um, again, 10-day jail sentences, um, well, I'm not even sure, it said supervision, they received 10-day jail sentences suspended on the condition that they didn't commit the same offense again. Look, I, I get it if you're if you're unhappy with the bosses, if you feel that, gee, I, I don't like the way the correction system's going, we got to get rid of these guys. Um, I understand that one of the employees had had you know, previous allegations of harassment, but that's, that's not related to this. And at some point in time, I think we need to kind of exercise some common sense.
1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The WTMJ Classic Free Ride makes a pit stop in beautiful Okachi today. Join my friend John McCure in Wisconsin's Afternoon News as they broadcast live from 3 to 6 at the Golden Mast Inn on Okachi Lake. It is a great restaurant with a great view. Stop by, say hi to John, have yourself a beer. Maybe some fish. Register to win the amazing 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible and tickets to see Dirk Bentley perform at Summerfest. That's today from 3 to 6 at the Golden Mast Inn on Okachi Lake. It's WTMJ's classic free ride sponsored by New Mail Medical in Tosa and Summerfest. There is an irony. In the last segment of the program, we were talking about calls to discipline these state uh, employees because they, they took 12 walleye instead of, of 6 when they were on a hunting trip. Um, Colleen was referring to this this giant fish kill um, up in, in Beaver Dam, I mean, it's it's a staggering story. Thousands of fish die after Beaver Dam lowers the water level in the river. I mean, here's the way Channel 4 reported it. More than 5,000 fish died in the Beaver Dam River over the weekend when the city lowered water levels in the river to aid an ongoing construction project. Walleye, northern pike, and panfish were the main species that died. Um, some were trophy fish. takes a long time for fish to grow that big. According to the city, they started bringing water levels down last week by closing off the dam. This was to dry out the concrete about four miles down the river where a delayed construction project is taking place. A large amount of fish were still coming through the dam, and there wasn't enough water for all of them. What idiot doesn't know this? I mean, that's the amazing thing. Unfortunately, we this is what the uh, mayor says. Unfortunately, we had that fish loss in the meantime, um, so there's the problem now of cleanup, cleanup and looking forward to getting the project done. It's an important area for emergency service for our community. Okay, I, I understand they've got to do the road work. I mean, you've got to get the project fixed, but how can they just blunder into this without realizing what what the effect is. The president of the Beaver Dam, Beaver Dam Lake Improvement Association says it's too early to assess blame but it wouldn't have been an issue if the city didn't lower water levels. Well, it's pretty easy to assess blame. They lowered the water levels. There were thousands of fish there. The fish died. Um, Why we've got more fish going through this time, we can't answer that right now. We're going to go back and look at that. Okay, um, here's the ultimate irony. They say that they're working with the Department of Natural Resources to prevent future loss. Um, The mayor says it's not that we can just say we have to quit the construction project that has to be finished. Nobody is saying that. But there's got to be a way that you can do this without killing thousands of fish. But here is the ultimate irony. Now, get this. The mayor says it is illegal to relocate the fish. So the city couldn't have moved the fish beforehand to the lake. Okay, let me just let this linger. So you have all these fish that essentially die because you, you close off the water as they're coming through the dam. So there's no water, and so they die. Right? So 5,000 dead fish. The mayor says we couldn't legally relocate them, um, so we couldn't move them into, into the lake. All right? So, okay, what's the effect? We couldn't legally remove them to the lake, so we just killed them. <laughs> That's, that's, that's what she is essentially saying. We couldn't legally move them, so we just killed them. All right. Huh. This would be one where 
it would seem to me, and again, I, I don't claim to know all the stuff about fish, but it would seem to me that this is something that you would at least look at when you know you don't just have one or two. You've got thousands and thousands of fish. Before you decide to like shut off and eliminate the water levels, you would think that somebody would take a look and see how many fish are involved. And if the option is killing 5,000 fish or trying to seek some waiver or something to relocate them into the lake, the idea that, well, it would be illegal to move them, so we just killed them. <sighs> I don't know. You just This stuff, it just boggles the mind. And I understand you have to do the construction project and all, but you would think that you would figure it out, be able to figure out a way to do this without killing 5,000 fish, and then saying, well, we couldn't legally remove them to the lake, that would be wrong, so we just decided to kill them and suffocate them. Huh. All right. Sometimes the good guys do not always win. Um, the, our friends at the Freedom from um, Religion Foundation, um, joined by their pals at the American Humorist Association, have been after this cross in Pensacola. It is a Latin cross. The cross is in Bayview Park in Pensacola, Florida. The cross um, has been there since the 1940s. It has been there since the 1940s. That was the original cross in 1969. The Pensacola JD JCs put up a 34-foot Latin cross. So there's been a cross in this park since, again, 1941. It's part of the history of this park. The cross has been a focal point for Memorial Day and Veterans Day services. It has also been used for Easter sunrise services. Been there for 75 years in the park. A couple years ago, the anti-religion zealots with the Freedom From Religion Foundation and their buddies, the American Humanist Association, sue saying, oh, this is terrible, you know, because this would be offensive. It's a city park serving all citizens, non-religious, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, and Christian, and to have a cross in the park, this is the argument, sends a message of exclusion to non-Christians and a corresponding message to Christians that they are favored citizens. Yesterday, a U.S. district judge bought into this argument and has ordered that after sitting in this park in one fashion or another since 1941, now the community has 30 days to remove the cross. Um, The four people who sued, four people who sued also were awarded $1 in damages, so they get a quarter apiece. The American Humanist Association celebrates the judge's ruling. We are pleased the court struck down the cross as violative of the First Amendment. The cross was totally unavoidable to park patrons, and to have citizens foot the bill for such a religious symbol is both unfair and unconstitutional. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, this cross had been there since 1941. It bothered no one except, again, some of the anti-religious zealots who clearly probably went out and tried to find three or four citizens to complain about this. They've used the cross for both secular, I guess, and non-secular purposes, Uh, Easter services, you know, Easter sunrise things, but also 
also Memorial Day, Veterans Day, things like that. Have we really gotten to the point in America in 2017 where it's unconstitutional to have a cross in a public park? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 1148. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Steve and Cudahy. Steve, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, so the Freedom From Religion Foundation succeeds in getting this cross that's been there since 1941 removed from public property. Was it the right decision? Yes. Well, okay, here it is. You can have to stop the the the, the canard of saying it's 1941. The first thing would be that that it is a violation insofar as this, because people finally spoke out. Now, with the, with the issue of people cross, finally spoke out. Yes, they found they found yes. they trolled around. They found four people to claim that they were offended, and the federal judge bought into it. Yes. Well, that well, then then how are you going to explain where your ilk would be the ones to complain if they had a Muslim invasion with the crescent, the the Muslim symbol, the Islamic symbol of the crescent moon and the star, or the Hindu Vishnu at the park, regardless it's one day or ten thousand years there. It doesn't matter if one person, four people, ten million people spoke out. It's a public facility that has to have the. That if you're going to have the cross, then you have to have a Hindu symbol. Well, well why do you? But, well, why? Symbol, but but okay. Symbol. But so what? So what's wrong with that? I mean, what? what that, so that, you've got that, and that's okay. That then I'm with you on that side. If you have a park where there's a cross, the Star of David, the Crescent Moon. The Vishnu Hindu. Well, but only if people want to erect it. I mean, thank, see, okay. For, first of all, let, let's just back up here. I think there. Is, there is nothing in the establishment clause of the Constitution. Founding fathers would be rolling over in their graves if they looked at what some of the courts have done to the establishment clause of the Constitution. Uh, this idea, this idea, I don't think the founding fathers ever intended to ban crosses and religious symbols from public um, property. And I think most reasonable people do it. All right. That's number one. Number two, when you're dealing with crosses, there are secular and non-secular uses. I mean, right, I understand that some people look at the cross and they see a religious symbol. Other people look at the cross and they see maybe in a, this is it's a marker. I mean, for Veterans Day, all right, or Memorial Day, you have the cross that's just used to recognize perhaps the passing of, you know, somebody and, and their service. Third, who is really offended by this? And I guess that's the thing that really comes to mind. Who the, the judge like seizes on this argument that somebody would be offended, somebody would feel excluded from the park. Really, I mean, in what world do we live where you have somebody that? And I'm not talking about you know one of the snowflakes that's perpetually aggrieved, the person that says, "Oh my goodness, I wake up every morning and I, I'm just I'm politically correct and I'm perpetually offended." I, I mean, I'm talking about a a real person raising a real complaint. Who says, okay, I'm not going to go to this park because since 1941 there has been this cross there that's used for different services. I mean, who is really offended by that? And if you're Muslim or you're Hindu or you're Jewish and you go to the park and you see the cross, okay, 
is that really going to say okay there there's a cross there so i i'm not going to i'm not going to go there anymore i mean is that the same person that says gee i'm not going to drive down the public street and because gee there's a church and from the public street i can view the cross and oh my gosh i'm offended i'm not going to drive on this particular roadway that is is ridiculous and these are you know we're chasing angels on the heads of pins here and unfortunately what happens is you have these anti-religious zealots like the freedom from religion foundation and the humanist association they have lawyers on staff they troll for these types of situations they've got lawyers they make the threats they try to a lot of times get communities to back down in this case they file a lawsuit and unfortunately you get this federal judge to guppy on this particular thing i mean the truth is I don't think Christian citizens should be relegated to second-class citizenship either. You've got the cross. It has been there. It has historical significance beyond religious significance. It is not causing any problems at all. And the idea, and again, the, the caller says, well, you know, how, how would you have felt about a crescent moon? Well, I guess it, gets, it depends on the circumstances. If there was... If there was, first of all, some other non-religious use of the crescent moon or some other non-religious interpretation, that's fine. But you know what the truth is? Bottom line, if somebody wanted to put something like that up and maintain it, I don't I don't think I would have an issue with that. I mean, what's the idea of, of the public? The public is something that's available to all the different segments of the public. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to uh, Randy in Kewaskum. Randy, good morning. Hello, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I, I agree with you. This is absurd. There, There is nothing uh, about freedom from religion in the Constitution. The only thing the Constitution said was the government can't go and establish a religion. In other words, the government can't say that uh, this country is the official... Uh, right, religion of this country is whatever, is, Catholicism, is, is, yeah. Seventh-day Adventists or whatever. Right. There has been, uh, you know, they had nothing about any uh, expression of anybody's religion. And, you know, in fact, they encouraged it. The fact is, the Freedom from Religion Foundation is foisting their religion, which is non-religion, on everybody else. Everybody else is supposed to keep their symbols out so that they can go and... uh, Right, superior to everybody right. else. And who? And thanks. See, and I get back. I come back to the same thing. Who is really offended by this? Where is the harm? Where is the injury? Do you mean to tell me that any reasonable person? I guess I, you know, and, and you can't legislate to the crazy, but that any reasonable person would say, "I'm not going to use this public park because as I'm walking past it, I see that there." There is a cross that is there, and we use the cross. Sometimes it's used for religious, but there's also non-religious, you know, components to it as well. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people that, again, you know, you look at, for example, the cross used as markers at graveyards, and you don't necessarily assume some people may give it religious significance. Others just view it as, as a marker. Others view it as an historical perspective. But, I mean, is there really... Anybody that's going to be harmed by this, and I'll tell you something, the sooner the U.S. Supreme Court weighs in on these cases and starts saying, we've had a bunch of lefty interpretations of the Establishment Clause that go back 30 or 40 years, and it's time to just essentially start over and effectively start issuing rulings which put places like the Freedom From Religion Foundation out of business. The sooner the Supreme Court starts doing that, the better. It's 1155.